and stance. Does it happen to me or will I happen to it? Life is different when you entrust it to Jesus. The difference is with Jesus, this is not about bad luck of why this is happening to me. It's not about good luck of why this is happening to me. This is about Jesus who in all things works for the good of those who love him. Those who have been called according to his purpose. In other words, with Jesus, he changes my stance on how I see and react to whatever is happening in my life. Today, together, we're going to see the Apostle Paul bring what I'm calling three critical factors together that help you and I live in this stance. That, that things are not just random, this is not just luck that we have to deal with, but a Jesus who is at work in it all. He's going to bring three critical factors together. But here's, here's, I have a little bit of a fear that one of those factors, we tend to really underestimate his power. And you say, well, does it really make that much difference? I mean, if we got two out of three, that's, that's pretty good, right? I mean, but, but I, I want us to, to maybe take the image today. You, you know, sometimes a stool, for example, that, that you sit on has three legs, all right? So today we'll, we'll let those three legs represent the three critical factors that Paul's bringing together that, that, that we know how to, how to stand well, what happens when one of those legs is missing? This poor dude represents kind of what that looks like. Um, I started to actually do that today. I've got more wisdom than that. And so I'm, I'm just showing you the picture. I mean, it's a stool that's supposed to have three legs, but it's only got two. Now, my point is he's kind of making it work. And I think I could too. I just didn't want to show off, right? So I think I could make it work using my strength to balance with the other two legs, but in the end, it's exhausting. And it's not a place of rest like I believe God intends for this to be. So I'm glad you're here. I want to say welcome. Thanks for taking the time to be together today where, wherever you may be joining us from online. For those of you who are at mission sites or wherever you may be, thank you that we get to spend some time together. I truly believe today God's word has something so helpful for us. But before we get there, I want to take a second to invite you to an opportunity. Now, 
There's a lot of opportunities coming your way, Heart of Life, within even this next week. Ladies, you got the chance to be a part of a really cool Bible study that's, that's uh, getting ready to launch some calm in the chaos. Um, this next Saturday, right, we, we got a, a concert right here. Peter and, and Grace Assad are going to be doing the story live. I'm so crazy proud of, of them and what God has, has just crafted in them. So lots of opportunity. But here's one. That's about one month from now, but I'm telling you today because I'm begging you to mark your calendar. It's going to be the first weekend in April, which is April 1st and 2nd, but this is no April Fool's, all right? April 1st and 2nd, that's actually a Friday and a Saturday. I want to invite you to something that we're going to call Pause. Pause. And the thinking is, the idea is, you know what? Every once in a while in the life of a church, it's kind of like God brings us to new seasons. And I'm telling you, I've felt this way for a little while now and all the craziness of what we've been through in the last three years or so, uh, just craziness in our culture. And, but, but it's like God is, is really moving some things. God just seeing him at work. And, and so I believe there are moments that it is super smart to say, how about we pause and all of the church come together, and let's just take a little bit of extended time, lean into the heart of our God, and let's do some praising, all right? And let's do some listening, and let's together seek his heart. So the way I'm going to describe this is this is, this is not, it's not really a conference. It's not really a seminar. Um, don't get me wrong. Everything that we're going to do is going to come from right scripture and the truth of, uh, of how God says we, we approach him. But, but really the primary purpose of this is not about you even getting information. The primary purpose of this weekend is an extended time together where we worship and we listen for our God. It is not going to be you just come and, and like listen. We are building it to be experiential together. It won't look like this in this room. Um, it will be very different, maybe very different than maybe something that you've ever experienced. And so I want to invite you. Friday night, it'll start, 7 p.m., um, it'll continue Saturday morning. We'll have lunch together on Saturday, and then we'll wrap it up just a little bit early um, on Saturday afternoon. And then, of course, we'll, we'll be gathering again everywhere on Sunday. But a weekend where we pause for what I believe is the greatest reason in the whole world to pause, that we could lean, lean into him. All right? I'm inviting you. All areas, all campuses, all mission sites, we want to gather in one place. We're going to be right here. It's the most space for us to spread out and to be together. Um, I want to encourage, if you got kids, it's not really built for little kids. It's just, it's just not. Um, students, absolutely, welcome to be a part of that. You as a parent can determine if, if your kid, you know, can, can, can 
handle that. We'll talk more about that as we go forward. But here's one of the recommendations I would make. Find some child care. Find some child care. You got a month to work on some child care. Maybe you want to like maybe check on some extended family or maybe some of God's family who doesn't happen to be a part of Heart of Life so that everybody possible who's a part of Heart of Life could be in on that. There's something powerful. I mean, there's just a benefit to getting childcare for one thing overnight, right? Some of you don't ever do that. Um, that's a whole nother sermon, but there's just some benefit to that of, of rest for you a little bit. But to be able to be here on Friday and then zero back in on Saturday and not have all the normal craziness that you got to deal with is worth it, all right? You got a month, don't give up on the child care without praying and doing some asking and let's gather and we'll pause. We'll tell you a lot more about that as we go forward. I think that's vital because come on, what should matter more than anything else to us is our relationship with God. We say it, but man, what should matter more to us than a relationship with God? But what exactly does that mean? And how does that happen? Today, that's where I want to start. And I'm going to start with some big words, like five-syllable kind of words, all right? But just because they got five syllables doesn't mean we can't understand what they mean. Every once in a while, it's important to do this. I'm gonna, I'm, what does it mean when we talk about having this relationship with God? Let me show you some words. Let's start with this one. It's the word regeneration, all right? I encourage you to write it down. And if you want write, to write one word that goes with it, write the word birth, birth. When we're talking about this relationship with God, it starts with a new birth, all right? We use the word regeneration to describe. This is the work of God's grace where God's spirit comes to dwell in us a miracle making us a new creation in Jesus. Now, the Spirit's been at work bringing conviction. He shows us our sin. He shows us our need for Jesus, leads us to turn from our sin to God. That's called repentance, and leads us to entrust, gives us the faith to entrust our life to Jesus. It's called regeneration. It's a miracle of the Holy Spirit, a new birth in me that I am now no longer dead, but I am alive to the things that move the heart of God. Okay? Regeneration. What's the word? Birth, birth, birth. All right? Regeneration, new birth. There you go. Let me give you a second one. Justification. I told you, they're big words. Justification. Justification is a legal term. But it is also what happens when we talk about this relationship with God. We are forgiven. And this is a, a, it's a legal term, a legal transaction, if you will. Jesus has paid the debt for my sin. At the cross, his sacrifice sufficient, 
And therefore, the Father declares us free and right with him. Did we earn that? Nope. We didn't earn regeneration. It's by God's grace that he comes, right? We we don't earn justification. It, It is by God's grace that we are fully acquitted and brought into this peace and favor with God. Third word, sanctification. Sanctification, you could simply use the word growth because that's what we're talking about. Spiritual growth, it starts at, at spiritual birth and the spirit of God again that is at work in us. He empowers, enables us to progress in this spiritual maturity that our heart is becoming more and more like our father's. One more word, glorification. It is the culmination of God finishing what he starts, the, the final blessed state. Even perfect bodies. Woohoo! The more birthdays I have, the more I'm grateful for that one. Perfect bodies, a perfect home perfect relationships with with one another and and with our God, perfection. All of this together, that's kind of a big deal, right? All of this together is what we refer to when we use the word salvation. Salvation. When you hear that, we talk about salvation that that Jesus brings, that one word, what is encompassed in that is, is all that I just described to you. It is only found in a faith relationship with Jesus. But it is offered freely to all who come to him. In faith. Isn't that good news? That is actually the good news of Jesus. And that is what we gather to celebrate all the time. Now, Jeff, why are you telling us this? Well, I thought it was important to kind of give you that big view again because it's really critical to understand where we've arrived in Philippians chapter 1. We're rolling through the book of Philippians. We have arrived at verse 19, and I'm going to start on the last part of verse 19. I want to show you something, and then we're going to build backwards, all right? Look at what it says, Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. The apostle Paul, he's writing to some Jesus followers in a place called Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians, and this is a statement he makes. What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And the question I'm raising is, what does that mean? What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. The word is soteria in Greek. And as is often the case in the Greek language, there can be multiple words that are attached to that. English language is not so much like the Greek language in that way, but a Greek word sometimes can mean multiple things. It can mean deliverance. It can mean escape. 
It, it can mean well-being, but it can also mean, you ready? Salvation. Salvation. In fact, there are 17 other times that this word is used in Scripture in the New Testament, and I think every other time it's translated salvation, which is what I just described to you a few minutes ago. All right? Now, here's the, here's the wrestling match, though. Okay, Paul's saying, what's happened to me? Well, what's happened to Paul? He's in prison. He's not in prison because he did anything illegal or wrong. He's in prison because he's a Jesus follower. He declares Jesus everywhere. He's got some people who, who push back against that. They falsely accuse him. He, he, he ends up in, a, in an unfair, he can't get a fair trial wherever he's at. He's been in prison for years now. Now he's in prison in Rome as he writes this letter. And so when he makes the statement, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance, does Paul mean deliverance from Prison? Like, I'm going to get out? Or does he mean deliverance as in, like, the ultimate, the word salvation? Now, I think, I'm going to tell you, I think Paul could mean all the above. I do. I, I think he knows it could mean Honestly, either and both of those things, because what the Apostle Paul is absolutely sure of is that what he's going through is temporary. It's temporary. His imprisonment is not forever. This is not the eternal aspect of what's going to happen to him. It is temporary. Paul's statement what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance is a direct quote from the Old Testament. You want to know who said it in the Old Testament? Job. Anybody remember Job? Oh, man, Job's got a remarkable story, but nobody loves studying Job, really, because Job suffered. God allowed Job to go through a lot of suffering. But you know what we were clear on when it comes to Job? Job was a righteous man. And what Job knew is that God delivers the righteous. Well, we got the Apostle Paul. Here he sits in prison. He didn't, he didn't do anything to, to hurt people or he didn't do something wrong in order to be there. What he knows is that God delivers the righteous. In other words, this is his happenstance. He's secure in this stance. I personally believe this word means more than just get out of prison. In other words, I don't think Paul's just praying here Say, I mean, I don't think he's just saying here because of what's happening to me, I know I'm going to get out of prison. I don't think that's what he means. And a part of the reason I don't think that is the way this word is used in all the rest of the New Testament, where I told you some 18 times, and I think every single one of them, two more times in the book of Philippians, it's almost every time soteria means salvation. But 
That's not the main reason. I, I think it means more than get out of prison here. The reason I think it means more is because of what Paul says next. The greatest evidence of what I think he means here is when you take it in, here's the word, context, which is one of the greatest tools you've got for studying Scripture. When you're trying to figure out what something means, you try to understand what's going on around the statement. So what is the next statement that Paul makes? Go back to verse 19. What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by what? Death. And I would submit to you, when he says by death, that would kind of mean something bigger than I think I'm going to get out of prison because he doesn't know. When it says by death, I, I mean, that, that means this is bigger than a get out of jail card. If I live, I'm delivered. If I die, I'm delivered. If this is ultimate salvation that he's dealing with here, being right with God and getting right to heaven, we would say, well, how does that happen? What is he saying? Now, I want you to back up to verse 18, and let's read it, and let me show you something here. Verse 18, here's what we learned last week. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Now, remember, Peter told us last week, if you didn't get to hear message last week, I encourage you to check it out online. Paul is not promoting false motives for preaching Jesus. He's not saying, hey, who cares what your motive is? Just, just do it. No, but he is saying, even if somebody's motive is false, don't let that get, right, you, you stuck or, or, or hung up on this whole thing. You know what? What you celebrate is that Jesus is declared. And when Jesus is declared, even in false motives, man, that's worth celebrating because the good news of Jesus, the gospel is the key. Now, I want you to think about the gospel in that way, the good news of Jesus, the word of God. I want you to think of that as one of the legs of the stool, okay? That is one of the legs of the stool that allows me to take a stance that is different than if I don't have Jesus, all right? Paul said in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. All right, so first leg. Now let's pick up verse 19 again. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, 
what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. The Spirit, the Spirit who provides, right? We learned it in the book of Acts. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is the Holy Spirit who brings power and strength and instruction and comfort. The Holy Spirit, he brings all the resources of God to you. I didn't give you this verse um, visually today, so I want you to write it down. Check it out. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And let me just read it to you before I go back to this text. But I want you to hear another place in Scripture where Paul says this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. He says, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. Because God chose you as first fruits to be saved. There's our word. But listen to what he says. Through the sanctifying work. There's our word. The sanctifying work of the spirit and through belief in the truth. So here's what he says. Look, he says, I'm celebrating. I'm thankful you. Not just your getting started which is by grace through faith in Jesus, but also this evidence of you belonging to Jesus because of the Spirit who is at work in you, growing you to look more and more like Jesus. You're like, why do we call it sanctification? That's a weird word. Sanctification comes, actually, our English word comes from the Latin word sanctus, which means holy. The idea of being set apart Right? And God calls us to be holy because he, our father, is holy. Well, in the English language, we don't take the adjective holy and turn it into a verb, right? We don't say holify, right? And we don't, and we don't turn it into a, na- a noun, which would be, right, holification. No, that's why we use the word sanctification in the English language. But that's what we're talking about that we are set apart, that he is growing us in holiness just as our father is holy. If a child is going to grow to the fullest expression of their father's character, one, they need both the DNA by virtue of a seed, a birth, and then that child is going to practice the character of that father with that father's help and direction and discipline. I'm saying that's the picture of what God is doing in us. A new birth. He, the spirit of God, born, right, living in us, a a new birth, and then him directing and empowering that we take on more and more of the character, the heart of our father. And so Paul says, he, he says, look, by the help of the spirit, I'm going to be delivered. By the help of the Spirit, I'm going to be delivered. If I live, I'm going to be delivered. If that means getting out of prison and continuing on this journey, I'm going to be delivered. But if that means I die, I'm going to be delivered because of the Spirit who is at work in me. None of us become followers of Jesus without the Spirit of God. I want you to see the Spirit as, uh, if you will, the second leg on the stool. 
So we got the gospel, we got God's word that is declared, the power of God. And then, and then we have the spirit who is at work in us, enabling us to take this stance of how we see what's happening to us. But there is one more leg of the stool. And this is the one that really got me this week. And it's the one that I wonder if we really, really understand its power. You ready? Verse 19 again, yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your what? Prayers. Through your prayers. What's happened to me? I'm going to be delivered. Through your prayers. Well, what are we praying? <laughs> I think we're praying the same kind of thing that we've already heard Paul pray in Philippians chapter 1, right? He told them, hey, I'm praying for you guys that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, that you'll be able to discern what is best, right? What what God says is the best and, and that you'll be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Those are the things we're praying for the Spirit's continual work in our life that we will lean in into his power and his instruction. Our prayer that Paul says is a part of this, that does not make our security any less because Paul has already established God finishes what he starts. He finishes. So this does not make our security any less, but how does he do that? He does that Right? Through the gospel, through the spirit who is at work in us, and through their prayer. And if this does anything for us, it ought to make prayer more urgent. You see, the spirit never leads us to a casual thinking about salvation. What I mean by that is the Spirit never leads us to the kind of thinking that says, well, there was that time that I declared that I believe in Jesus. There was that time that I right, walked forward in a certain service. I, I raised my hand. I filled out a card. I, I prayed a prayer. There was that time that I responded, right, that, that I believed in Jesus. And, and even if I'm not growing, even if I'm not really praying, no, no real Christian thinks that way. No real Christian thinks that way. Those who really have the spirit of God in them, they, they, don't, they don't take this casual, no, it becomes so. We're gonna keep trusting with everything we've got. God, help me to trust, and so I'm gonna keep praying with everything I've got. God, help me to trust. God, help me to see as you see. And so all of a sudden, 
Man, we've got this significant picture, and every illustration that we use comes up short, I get it, but I'm just trying to give you an image of a stool with those three legs, the word, the spirit, and prayer. And I think that perhaps there are some of you who would say, look, I've heard that word, and I believe the gospel. And I also believe that the spirit is at work in my life. But I'm afraid that at times we have neglected that third factor that Paul says is critical. And we look kind of like this dude. Yeah, I believe God's word. Yeah, I know the spirit is at work, but if prayer if we don't understand the power of prayer for each other. I don't want you to miss this today. This, I have built everything to get to this statement. My deliverance is tethered to your prayers for me. You know what that makes me say? Y'all need to step it up. You see what I'm saying? It also means that your deliverance is tethered to my prayers for you. And you should be shouting, Jeff, you need to step it up. That's how you feel how you feel. This is huge, isn't it? Man, this is big when it comes to understanding prayer that I think we minimize. We minimize the significance of this. Think about what this means for a very large group of Jesus followers, which we know exist in the Ukraine today. There's a big number of real Jesus followers in the Ukraine. And from what I just read from God's word, we are not able to say that their deliverance is not tethered to our prayer, because it is. Jeff, are you talking about deliverance from war or deliverance to heaven? Yes. Yes. I don't know if the first one will happen, but I know the second one will happen. Now, I don't want you to turn this. This is important. Please don't turn this into what the scripture doesn't say here, where you turn this into something that becomes a debilitating burden and you suddenly start carrying the guilt when things don't happen the way you want them to happen, and your conclusion is, man, I I just didn't pray good enough. Isn't it amazing how we can suddenly turn everything and kind of make it about our ability, all right? Sometimes people do that where 
I'm praying for somebody, I'm praying for a circumstance, I'm praying for a situation. If it didn't turn out exactly like I wanted it to turn out, then I'm reading this and I'm going, well, I must not just have prayed very good. I must, I, I must not be very good at this or I should have done this better. Or I, sh- I should have right, prayed hard. That's not what it says. Don't turn it into that. There is a God who is sovereign. He always has been and he always will be. There is a Holy Spirit who brings deliverance. He is the one who cuts the chains. He breaks those chains. It, it is him. Don't turn this into something it doesn't say, but also don't miss what God's word actually does say. My deliverance is tethered to your prayers for me and your deliverance is tethered to my prayers for you. That is absolutely amazing. And I'm understanding more and more what Paul has been saying to us since verse 1. Any basketball fans, we are drawing ever near to the March Madness. It is March, and that means madness. And in my house, we love March Madness because we love basketball. A unique event happened yesterday. Mike Krzyzewski. You like that name? Mike Shashevsky uh, has been the head basketball coach at Duke University for 42 years. Um, because his name is Shashevsky, um, he is simply referred to as Coach K, which I like, Coach K. Um, he's a pretty successful dude. Um, five national championships, I think. Got as good a shot as anybody to win one this year. But last night... Um, he coached his last game at home. He's retiring. Coached his last game at home, which is referred to as Camden Indoor Stadium. And it's quite an experience. Um, uh, the opponent was North Carolina, who actually won the game, which is a, kind of a bummer for everybody that wanted to celebrate. Um, but the tradition is on game day when North Carolina comes to Duke, Coach K always addresses the students of Duke. And being interviewed, he was asked the question, what are you going to tell these students for the last time? Like you've been talking to these students for 42 years. What are you going to tell them for the last time? And this is a little bit of what he said he would tell them. He said, you hear the talk about this being our house, Cameron Indoor Stadium. This is our house. He said, but Cameron has not been my house, but my home. And I want them, the students, to understand this is your home, and it will be your home forever. Just look at the banners, and he's referring to all the banners that are in the rafters of that gym of of titles they've won from their conference to national. He says, when, when you return years down the road for your reunion, you, you will come back with your children, a spouse, right, family. You're going to look up and see those banners. And he said, you will say, we won that. 
He said, you're not going to say Coach K won that. He said, you're not going to say any particular player won that. He said, you will say we. And he said, that's the difference between Cameron and any place else. Now, I'm a dude that is tracking with what the coach is saying. Because long before Coach K, the Apostle Paul was teaching this concept to the church in Philippi, who I'm convinced when it comes to the church, there is no other team nor organization on the planet who can experience it to the depth that the church can. It's simply in this series what we are calling with. With. And Paul's been saying we are a partnership in this. Right? This is this is not about a bunch of individual players who are just right doing their thing on the court. No, this is there is a partnership in the greatest mission on the planet. There's a partnership in the gospel. We are with God, but we are we are with one another as his people. And today, for me, he sheds even more light on this. We are with one another. Because come on, let's quit messing around with this. Me Making a strong finish is tied to you praying for me. Please pray for me. And I think like Paul, that's why the older you get, the more you realize. And you making a strong finish is tied to us praying for you with one another. This is not an isolated factor. We are not in this race by ourselves. He's saying we are with one another and with our God. The greatest, not because we are the greatest, but because our God is the greatest. We get to be a part of the greatest family in the world, on the greatest mission in the world, headed towards the greatest home in all the world. By the power of Holy Spirit, he can accomplish all that. And I know, believe me, I know that you would think that when people are introduced to that truth, that everybody would want to invest their lives in such a family. but they don't, and I know it, and I'm saying it because many of you know it, because you have at times made connections and you thought people were with you investing their lives in the, in the family, a family with the greatest mission, and we're, and we're headed toward the greatest home, but sometimes it's just the fact, sometimes people are just there not to invest their lives in the family, but they just want Resources, and they believe that the church is where they can find the resources that they want. Hear me when I say that doesn't change the reality of who the church really is supposed to be. 
And that doesn't change how you and I going forward are supposed to continue to invest our lives in this family that I'm in it, not just for me, but man, because I, I want you to finish. And you're in it, not just for you, because you, you want everyone to finish. And so a couple of questions that I think this just practically leads us toward today. We could go a lot of different directions here. I'm going to keep it simple. Who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? And I'm saying, I'm encouraging you today to take one more step, like whatever, wherever you're at, one more step. If you're not praying for your spouse, for example, let today be the day that you are declaring, I'm going to start praying for my spouse because me praying for my spouse is tethered to my spouse finishing strong. That makes sense? So regardless of where we're at, how about we take a step forward? And I'm t- today, let it be known. Like, come on, you're not, you're not fooling your spouse in that. So maybe today you want to say to your spouse, like, I just want you to know I'm picking up the pace for you. And I'm going to start praying for you different than I have been before. Or maybe you're able to say, I've always prayed for you, but you know what? I'm taking it to the next level because I understand what God's saying here. Maybe you're going to do that for your kids You pray for your kids now and then, but you're going to make it a regular part that God give me a rhythm of every day. God, I'm going to go to battle. I'm going to do battle for my kids because I realize that my prayers are connected to them finishing strong. If you're already doing that, man, I just want to, I just want you to be affirmed and this keep going, keep fighting and maybe add to your list. Hey, you got some extended family or you got some people you work with. You got some neighbors, and every once in a while you think about them, but maybe you want to add one of them to the list and go, I'm going to start being more intentional about praying because God says this is critical. He says this is a part of the deliverance that takes place. All right? I got one more question for you. Who is praying for you? And listen to me, it is not selfish for you to form a team. Get you a team. Man, I am grateful for the people that pray for me. I am grateful for those who tell me that and those who actually do it on a regular basis. Man, I'm saying there is nothing selfish about you approaching some people to say, will you pray for me? Get you a team because it is critical in how you finish not selfish. Even the apostle Paul in certain letters that he would write, like Romans, you know what he said? Y'all please pray for me. Well, if he needed to ask, it's okay for you and I to ask, get a team. One of my prayers is that God will turn this gathering, and when I say this gathering, I mean everybody that's tied together today by video, wherever you may be, that God will turn this gathering into an understanding of family that we just didn't even know could be. 
And one of the ways families encourage each other is that when they're together, they actually speak how they feel. When they love, when they care. Our lives all the time are to be praising God. But when we come together, there is this visual of us, right? Physically, visually praising him. And when we do that together, we are encouraged, even though we can praise him all week long. Well, it is also true that we should be praying all the time. It's really the life that prays, right? It's this relationship. We're always praying. But God has so designed it that when we come together, ought to be a time where we actually pray for one another. And it doesn't even always have to be because I think that dude's got a problem. I think she's got a struggle. No, sometimes it can just be I just want you to know that I love you. And today, I'm just praying that God will cause his love to abound more and more in your life. It's just what families are supposed to do. So one of the things I'm praying is that we can get to the place where that like doesn't have to be coerced and it doesn't even have to be always like, like I don't have to guilt you into, hey, uh, go do this with two people or three people, but... God, every time we come together, would you make us more and more a people who pray for one another, not just secretly, but personally, so that, God, you can use that to encourage and build up that we know we're not alone. We're not alone. It's we. It's we. God, I thank you for taking next steps with us today. I thank you for the power of your spirit that helps us grow, that helps us even understand the scripture. And now, God, it's the power of your spirit that helps us to actually obey. So, God, I'm praying for certainly these moments, these next few moments that we get to praise you. But, God, I'm, I'm praying beyond just this one, that, that you would grow us in the atmosphere that when we are together as family, there will be a freedom and an initiative to pray for one another. I thank you, God. I thank you for your great grace. I thank you for your power that is immeasurable. You are the God who delivers. The God who breaks chains. God, today may chains be broken. May freedom in you be known. And we will give you all praise. And all together, God's people said, amen.